Hey, welcome. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow. Chris will be back tomorrow. I'm here tonight. I'm with you, and I'm taking your calls on five Z- at 508-996-0500. Open phone lines today, whatever you want to talk about. Let's hear it. We also tomorrow, uh, as I'll remind you throughout the show, tomorrow is the primary debate for the candidates running to be the next Bristol County Sheriff. Uh, on the Democratic side. So, obviously, Tom Hodgson is running unopposed in the primary on the Republican side. But he has he's going to be facing, after September 6th, he'll be facing one of three Democratic candidates in the race. Mayor of Attleboro and uh, former, correct, uh, former state rep as well. Mayor of Attleboro, former state rep, and corrections administrator, Paul Haru. Attorney and former prosecutor Nick Bernier and former Somerset Police Chief George McNeil. So those three will be in studio with us. The format is going to be from eight. The the, the debate's going to be from eight to ten, and from seven thirty to eight, we're going to have actually a Quentin Palfrey, candidate for Attorney General. He's in the area, so he's going to come. He's going to drop. He's going to drop in. And he's going to talk to us about his campaign. Looking forward to that. I have a, I had Shinless Reardon, who's who's one of the other candidates for attorney general, who's putting a lot of money in the race, of a remarkably accomplished labor attorney. And I wrote a column that you can find on WBSM.com of that interview uh, that should be up now. It is up now, actually. You can go check it out if you want. And there's the uh, audio of the interview as well. It's great that everything's available on podcast. So if you miss something, you can always go back and check it out. Anyway. So from 7.38, Quentin Palfrey is going to be in. Then from 8 to 10, the candidates for Bristol County Sheriff will be in. Um, Paul Haru, Nick Bernier, and George McNeil. And the first hour from 8 to 9 is going to be questions that Chris and I will be asking. And the second uh, hour, and questions they'll be asking each other, which I, I like a lot. Um, they can. They each have an opportunity to ask their opponents a question. They'll each have uh, two minutes to respond to that question. So you know, I, I let them know a few days ahead of time that they they get to ant they get to ask their opponents a question. So I'm wondering which what kind of question that they will that they will bring up. Now, um, from nine to ten tomorrow, you can call in and ask them questions. So from eight to nine, we're gonna Chris and I are gonna be asking questions, and they'll be asking each other questions, you know, about a lot of the stuff uh, with the sheriff. You know, we'll definitely be talking about the lawsuit, right? The lawsuit that the sheriff uh, that's filed against the sheriff's office. We'll be talking about um, at the Gas Street Jail. We'll be talking about uh, immigration, the sheriff's role in immigration enforcement. And we'll also be talking about, you know, why does, you know, which candidate, I think they have to each explain this. Why do you think you're the best person to take on Sheriff Hodgson, right? Because if you're on the Democratic side, you look at it this way. You've got one shot for the next six years. You got one shot for the next six years 
A lot of there's a lot of local activists and there's a lot of local Democrats that don't like the sheriff. And so you need to put forward a candidate that has a shot at winning, right? If if you want to even think about beating the sheriff, right? He's a well financed, well liked, long term incumbent, long time incumbent. He's you don't you don't get to you don't get to be elected for twenty five years. That's not even to include the eight years as a city as a city councilor before that, without knowing what you're doing uh, in terms of campaigning, right? So. Those candidates, these three candidates, have to have to. I think, when they walk out of here tomorrow, they should have demonstrated. Most importantly, above all, if you're a Democrat and you're looking to vote, if you're if you're a Democrat and you're looking to vote against Tom Hodgson, they'd have to demonstrate that they are the best candidate to beat him. Not even necessarily, like yeah, of course. Like being, you know, having the best policies and all that is is good. Um, I think if you're a Democrat, you probably look at it this way. Well, whatever policies they're going to put in are going to probably be what I prefer more than what Tom Hodgson prefers. So, and I'm not saying those things are mutually exclusive, right? The best candidate could also have the best policies and all that. But they have to demonstrate why, they, why they're the best candidate to take on Tom Hodgson in the fall. Because that's the real fight, right? That's the real fight if you're a Democrat and you want to take out and you want new leadership in the sheriff's office. It's a tall order. It's one that's frankly, you know, looking at uh, looking at everything, doesn't seem likely to happen, right? And they know that these, are, you know, these. I'm not saying anything that these these um, that these candidates don't know. They know it's a tall order, so they have to show why they can win. You know, they have to say, hey, here's why I'm the best candidate to take on the sheriff. Because if you're, again, if you're a reform-minded person and you have the sheriff, that you have the, you and you have one opportunity for the next six years to beat the sheriff, right? To put forward a new, a, a different vision than the one that the sheriff has put forward and has been putting forward for 25 years. If that's what you're interested in as a voter, this election, and I'm assuming that's what you're interested in if you're listening to the primary, you might just be listening to see, you know, because you want to see what the other side, um, you want to see what the other side has to say about everything, which is cool. You should. And you should call in too. Call in too. And, and let them know what you think. But... I think what you have to say is who's the best candidate to take on Sheriff Tom Hodgson. I think that's what you have to listen to them on uh, Wednesday, tomorrow. And you have to, if you're a Democrat voter, say, well, this guy, I think, is the best candidate for these reasons. Again, I've said it before. I think if I had to pick a front runner in this race, I would say it's 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 Mayor Paul Haru. He's a mayor. He's a former state rep. He's run campaigns before. He's run successful campaigns before. He's beaten incumbents before. He's run campaigns on both the regional and municipal level, and he's raised the most money by quite a bit. Um, so he seems to be who I classify as the front runner. But Nick Bernier's come on really strong. I've seen a lot more Nick Bernier signs than I did just a couple weeks ago. Uh, I've seen a lot more just in Fairhaven. Uh, he's got a lot of strong support from Mike Rodericks, Carol Fiola, 
right? Um, governor's counselor, George, uh, Joe Ferreira. So he's got a lot of strong support too. Uh, George McNeil, newcomer to politics, but people might see the law enforcement, you know, um, having like being a, a, a chief, a police chief, being a law enforcement officer might, might offer the type of, I don't know, presence or bravado um, that could match the sheriff's very big personality, right? Um, when they go head to head here on WBSM, there's going to be a prime, there's going to be a general election debate too. So those are all the things, I don't know, that's all the things you, you got to think about tomorrow, but it's also going to be a lot of fun. I think there's going to be some fireworks. I think it's going to get, I think it's going to get testy and it should get testy. It's an important thing. You know, you get to pick who's going to run the cor- the correction system for the entire county for the next six years. So looking forward to that and looking forward to you guys tuning in and calling in in the nine o'clock hour tomorrow and asking questions. But I'm taking your calls today at 508-996-0500. There are a few things I wanted to talk about. I've been talking to uh, Attleboro rep Jim Hawkins. Uh, he is a former uh, educator and he's a rep from Attleboro. Uh, I'm looking to get him on tonight. We're trying to work that out to get him on. Uh, I know he's busy to get him on tonight uh, to talk about a ruling that came down from the uh, de- the board of uh, elementary and secondary education. And I don't know if you heard about this. I know we got teachers in our audience, so I'm definitely interested in hearing opinions on this. And you can call in or message on the app chat at 508-996-0500 or message us on the WBSM app chat. But the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education on Monday voted to raise the MCAS scores. If you can, if you can believe it, they voted to, in, it, in the midst of a global pandemic where students basically lost a year and a half to two years of education, where MCAS scores last fall had already shown to be plummeting. After the pandemic, the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education voted to raise MCAS scores, raise MCAS scores. So the standard, so it was, it's already bad enough, first of all, I think that the MCAS even exists. The high stakes, dogmatic approach to standardized testing has cost deserving students an opportunity at a diploma and an opportunity for more employment. It has. Um, Jim Hawkins, the rep from Attleboro, he put forward a bill that would, you know, he recognizes the importance of stand. He's an educator, so he recognizes the importance of standardized testing, but he also knows that there shouldn't be this dogma surrounding standardized testing because people, students, children learn at a different rate than other students. They learn differently. They have different skills and they excel in different subjects rather than the core curriculum that the MCAS really focuses on. They excel at different subjects as well. So it seems, I don't know, it's, you know, it seems inexplicable that the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education would vote to increase the MCAS scores. And again, you know, I have a personal grudge against the MCAS. 
Uh, this is in part because, you know, my, uh, yeah, my, I've, I talked about this on the radio before. If you listen to my old show, you might've heard the story. My younger brother, uh, he went through, he went to Fairhaven high school. He did well in the modified, you know, he had to, he took courses moda, that were modified to meet his educational strengths and he did really well with them. He did really well with them. So, but since his educational strengths didn't meet, weren't, didn't mesh with the standardized testing that is the MCAS, he wasn't able to get his diploma and still doesn't have it to this day. And I think that's wrong. You know, there was actually a, a student living with, like my brother, a student living with autism that was went to Middleborough High School and failed his MCAS twice by a single point because it was incredibly difficult for him. Despite being a good student, his educational strengths didn't meet, didn't mesh with a dogmatic adherence to standardized testing. And so he wasn't able to get his diploma. And as you know, not being able to get your high school diploma, significant, you know, not being able to get your high school diploma basically precludes you from a lot of opportunities in higher education, right? College, even getting an associate's degree. So that also limits nowadays your career opportunity because most careers that aren't trades and trades are important, but some people aren't good with their hands, present company included, right? Some people aren't good with their hands. Um, most, most, most um, universities and colleges are, I mean, most career opportunities now, you have to have at least a bachelor's, right? Or an associate. You have to have some sort of secondary degree. You can't, you, there's most jobs nowadays won't even take you. Nowadays, it almost seems like getting a master's degree or some sort of secondary degree is like the new college degree. So there's a lot of students, I think in the last 20 years, there's been at least 50,000 students that have been foreclosed from the opportunity of earning their diploma. And the majority of them are students with disabilities that have not been able uh, that, that have not been able to get a diploma and elevate to themselves to higher education or even better career opportunities after high school because of the MCAS. The MCAS also is a barometer for, and I think this is, you know, probably part of the reason. I think there's more than, I think there's more than educational interest uh, behind the support of the MCAS, right? I think a lot of people would agree that there's more than just educational interest. There might be some monetary interest. The MCAS is also used as a criteria for leveraging more seats for charter schools onto school districts. Bottom 10, most, most school districts in the Commonwealth um, are allotted 9% uh, 9% of net school spending for charter, uh, charter school seats, right? And there are some good, I'm not saying there aren't some good charter schools, but there's some bad ones too. You saw what happened with City on a Hill in New Bedford, right? And when City on the Hill left a hundred some odd students on a lurch, there was another school 
and New Bedford should be already full uh, in terms of their net school spending, but since they're in the bottom 10% of MCAS scores, they get to the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education by law gets to add more charter school seats. Doubles it from 9% to 18%. And they froze students in the bottom 10% MCAS scores. And they froze all the districts in the bottom 10 MCAS uh, scores for the purposes of uh, charter school assignment. So even if, and Mayor Mitchell said it perfectly, even if there's escape velocity out of the, the bottom 9% of, I mean, the bottom 10% of MCAS scores, it doesn't matter because they're still being leveraged with more seats. And then, you know, the, you, you tried to have that, they tried to have that other uh, charter school take City on a Hill's place. But I think due to a great deal of organizational effort, right, a lot of community um, response, the overwhelming community response against the new charter school, they were able to kill it. The charter school pulled their application. I forget the, I even forget the name of the new charter school now. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because it didn't end up existing. But you can guess which communities are in the bottom ten percent of MCAS, right? If New Bedford's in the bottom ten percent of MCAS scores, you can guess which other communities are there, right? Fall River, Brockton, Lowell. Probably Worcester, Springfield, the Gateway cities. You know, they're the ones. They're the ones that are most impacted by MCAS scoring. MCAS scoring also has. You know, there's a there's an a, a achievement gap in MCAS scores between people who are of means, communities of uh, communities of color. And, you know, upper to middle class uh, students living in upper to middle class communities. And the commissioner of um, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, right? He, Jeff Riley, he said that, oh, well, studies have shown that if students barely pass the MCAS, then they don't get, then, uh, then, they don't get the, um, they don't get, they don't do as well in, in the job market or in college. But the response to that is to then just completely foreclose them from the opportunity to get the, of getting their diploma. It doesn't make any sense. Well, if they're barely passing and they're not doing as well in college, what we should do is just keep them from getting their diploma altogether. It doesn't make any sense. This approach doesn't make any sense. It's hurting students and it's hurting vulnerable students. Now, I'm not an educator, which why is that, which is why I invited one on the program. Um, and again, we're working on on him come, uh, joining us tonight. We're, we'll uh, we'll try to figure that out. But I haven't talked to a single educator that is in favor of the MCAS, the MTA, the Mass Teachers Association. Which is in, uh, which is you know the the largest teachers union in the state. They're against the MCAS. The Board of uh, Elementary and Secondary Education had hearings, public hearings about the prospect of raising MCAS scores, and 
they had overwhelming, overwhelming testimony of parents, of students, of educators pleading them not to do this because the momentum on this policy issue isn't in favor of fortifying the MCAS as an integral part of our education system. It's, it's, it's the momentum's in favor of abolishing the MCAS altogether. There's, I think, a hundred lawmakers sent the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education a letter asking them not to raise the test scores. A hundred legislatures, a hundred. I think maybe over a hundred. But there's what? A couple hundred legislators in the uh, on Beacon Hill. I think 200, 160. I think there's 160 state reps and 40 senators. Someone can correct me on that. I, someone who's a rep or a senator could correct me on that. I know they listen. Uh, but I think it's 160 reps and 40 senators. So 100 lawmakers but, uh, asked them not to, not to raise the test scores. Because, again, the momentum is in – and I remember when I had Jim Hawkins on back in October of 2021 to talk about his legislation that he filed with Joe Comerford of Northampton uh, – Senator Joe Comerford of, of Northampton. He said that the, the bill was going through hearings and that there was a lot of support for it. So the momentum is going in the other direction. But the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education decided that basically – Screw like the majority of lawmakers that are working on this issue. Screw the overwhelming majority of parents uh, and educators and students who don't want this because, you know, what you've heard from a lot of educators is it's a great deal of undue stress. It's an undue burden on their education and on the students' education because you got to, you have to, you're putting the students under a great deal of stress for this high stakes, you know, winner take all testing. And, I'm, I was lucky enough to go to private school and be precluded from the MCAS, which again is, I think, another problem, right? If you have enough, if I, 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 I had parents with enough resources to send me to private school. So if you have enough resources to go to private school, you can be, you can, you can get out of this requirement for this high stakes testing and just get your diploma. And that's the problem. It disproportionately impacts people without as much resources and school districts without as much resources. And I've taken, I may have not taken the uh, MCAS, but I've taken a couple high stakes winner takes all exams, right? I took the LSATs to get into law school and I took the bar exam, which is a winner, (laughs) which is, you know, a winner take all exam if there ever was one. And I've taken law school finals that were, that were, I've taken law, there were plenty of law school classes. In fact, it's mostly, it's basically the standard, right, in most law school classes, that it's a 100% exam. But I think there's a difference between being a, you know, at the time, I was a 22 to 25-year-old man taking those exams and being a child. Because even as a 25-year-old man taking the bar exam and being stressed, uh, taking the bar exam, that winner-take-all high stakes test. I was stressed. <laughs> I'd never been more stressed in my entire life. I'd never been more stressed in my entire life. And I was a 25 year old man. Imagine how the kids feel knowing that their entire future hinges on those exams.
and the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education decided, well, it needs to be harder now. It needs to be harder. There are kids that are barely passing it that aren't doing as well. So instead of maybe, I don't know, coming up with alternative ways to with alternative ways to play to their educational strengths, to accommodate their educational strengths so that they can flourish, right, in a learning environment and maybe then do well in post, you know, post-secondary and uh, in employment opportunities, they decided let's just make it harder. It's got to be harder. Those kids that barely pass, well, they, you know, we can't let them, we can't let them pass, we can't let them pass because, I don't know, I guess it screws up their graduation statistics for college. I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. 508-996-0500. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is South Coast Night with Marcus. Chris is out, and you'll be back tomorrow. Hey, welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris is out. He'll be back tomorrow. But now we're joined by state rep from Attleboro, uh, Jim Hawkins. Hi, Rep Hawkins. How are you? Hi, how are you? I'm in the car, so I hope this works. Oh, yeah, of course. That's fine. So uh, you, I had you on back in October. We talked about the legislation that you had filed to um, abolish uh, the MCAS and replace it with uh, less uh, less dogmatic approach to standardized testing. Um, first, I'm just, I was just wondering what your reaction... Uh, uh, sorry. I don't like the word abolish because we're still going to have standardized testing. It's just going to be a fairer version. Right, exactly. <laughs> Anybody that hears that thinks that we're getting rid of it, and that doesn't make any yeah, that's 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 a that's a red flag for some people. So we're speaking with Rep. Jim Hawkins from Attleboro. So Rep. Hawkins, um, you um, uh, you know, you're you obviously you're an opponent of MCAS. What's your reaction to the department, the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education's decision on Monday? Uh, well, I drove in there and I testified uh, in DePaul's, and I testified with Senator Jalen and Senator Comfort against it. Uh, my, and we, we split it up because they only allow us three minutes each. Uh, we had a letter that was signed by half the legislature, and it took like a day to do that. Right. So uh, that, that we submitted to them as testimony. Uh, it was the only people who didn't sign it were people that didn't know about it. Everybody in the legislature is totally against this move. Why? Uh, my, my thinking on this is that this is this, this is a the MCAS is a tenth grade test, and I think this was what the reporters picked up on in the paper. Is that these students have taken everything they have to between grade one and grade ten, always the same courses. It's not different for any students in grade. In their junior and senior years is when they get to take electives, which might be the things that energize them to think they want to be in the school. Maybe it's a vocational program, automotive, culinary, or music, or art. But if they if they did not reach this new higher level of MCAS, they're not going to get to take those electives. And we've, we've just done them a terrible disservice. Uh, I'm so against that. I mean, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If you want to raise the bar, just raising the test score only hurts the people who struggle taking tests. And it may not be that they're not high achievers. It may just be that they don't take a, an eight-hour multiple-choice test well. It has nothing to do with their academic ability. We're speaking with Attleboro Rep, uh, Jim Hawkins, uh, former educator. So uh, what do you uh, think about uh, Commissioner Riley's um, justification that if uh, students who are barely passing are uh, off 
often not doing well in post-secondary education or in getting uh, any opportunities in the job market. So uh, that was his reasoning, I think, his foundational reasoning for raising, raising the scores. W- w- what do you think of that? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it was mostly business groups that were pushing for this, but there are no businesses that I've ever heard of that have MCAS as a hiring requirement. Right. There's no job applications that ask for MCAS, and there's no job descriptions that list an MCAS score as part of your skills that you have to get a job. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. His data, I can't figure where, how he twisted data to come up with that conclusion. But how does, how does excluding the people who struggle with the test raise the bar? It doesn't make any sense. So you have legislation, you said, that you'd filed with uh, Senator Comerford um, back yeah. last year to, to again, um, abolish the MCAS and have a different kind of standardized testing. Can you talk about that bill a little bit? I've got to have you stop using the word abolish because that scares people unnecessarily. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, please, don't use that word. No, we're, we have a – I'm a, when I was a teacher, I had to take the DESE required – pedagogy courses. And the one thing they said is that a multiple choice test is the worst possible evaluation of a student's achievement. The worst. And that's what MCAS is. What, is, what are they doing? So what, the, what this program is MCIEA, which is Massachusetts Consortium for Innovative Education Assessment. And I'm proud to say Attleboro is one of only eight school districts that's been pioneering this. But it, instead of MCAS, which is designed in the cubicles of Pearson Corporation. This is designed with teachers and school committees and administrators enthusiastically working together to come up with a performance-based test. Instead of a multiple-choice test, this would be a performance-based test. So it would be group work and project work, things that don't stress kids out, and they show everything they know in a group work. And group work and projects is what we're hoping to teach kids to do in the real world. It's perfect, perfect. It helps them. And it gives a much better picture of what the student knows, what the student can do. And it gives a much better picture of what the school is doing also. It gives a much more complete, it isn't just raw numbers, it's a pretty good description of what's happening in the school. It gives the school room a a way, a roadmap to improve that you don't get data. We're speaking with Attleboro Rep. Jim Hawkins, um, uh, former educator. So as a former educator, uh, what is what was what was your experiences with the MCAS? What were your students' experiences uh, with the MCAS? Well, I was a math teacher, so on Monday it's a three-hour test. On Tuesday it's a three-hour test. And on Wednesday it's a two-hour test. And I don't know about anybody else. I didn't take a test that long to get my master's degree. Right. And we're doing this the fifth year. It doesn't make any sense. And worse, it messes up the whole school day because of this three-hour period. The whole, because they're not all in the same classes, so there has to be, for that three-hour test, there has to be a three-hour period. And lunch is the same time, at whatever lunch is. So that means the first period is only 20 minutes, which you might as well, well, they got to take attendance, not doing anything. Right. And that lasts three hours. The kids that aren't taking MCAS have a three-hour test, and nobody has an attention span that long. That's a waste. Then the hot lunch has to be served at roughly the right time. So the last two periods, so that's normal, but the last two periods are short too. So there's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, multi-hour tests. Thursday, Friday, our makeup test for the kids who are absent. Wednesday. But for the entire week, this is just the math, not ELA or science, just the math. Right. There's no learning happening in that building. None. None. All, all for, for uh, tests. 
Barrett Hawkins, are you there? I am. Okay. Yeah, we're speaking with uh, we're we're speaking with Attleboro Rep uh Jim Hawkins, uh um former educator. So, uh you said that you had 100 legislatures, uh fellow legislatures in both the House and Senate sign the bill. And that's that is half of the that is half of of Beacon Hill, right? There's 160 reps and 40 senators. Uh so well, well, Sorry. Some empty seats in the House. So I think this is 154. Right. Got, I think 98. But the thing is that people don't realize is that we didn't, we didn't, we don't have the the, the staff to, to do this. We just sent it out, and that's how many people signed it. It was, and, it, and we only gave it a couple of days because we thought the hearing was the next week. In the end, they postponed it. We only had a couple of days. In a couple of days, we got that. So the all the legislators, both the House and the Senate, are totally against it. Doesn't make any sense. So. In, uh, given that, um, you know, you you have your legislation, and the last I talked to you was back in the fall. It was going through. Uh, you're you're doing hearings in the uh, uh, on Beacon Hill. Uh, do yeah. you think there's going to be uh, any momentum behind your uh, bill in the next session? Yeah. I know it's in January, but is there going to be any uh, momentum behind your bill in the next session? What's the leadership think about this, Speaker Mariano or President uh, Spilka? Uh, I can't speak for the Senate side. Uh, we met. With, with uh, Citizens for Public School, who was one of one of the groups that involved in this with Ariano a couple of years ago, and and he uh, and he supported it. Uh, the problem the problem is getting the word out that we're not getting rid of standardized testing. Everybody thinks that you're getting rid of standardized testing and the people, and it's not. But the purpose of standardized testing is to measure what kids are doing. So we need to. It, it's people. Whatever you say, all they hear is we're getting rid of MCAS. Not getting rid of MCAS. We're modifying it. We're trying to make it more reasonable, more useful, less stressful. So, yeah. So, so yes, we're going to reintroduce it. Uh, we had we had a pretty good panel for the public hearing, uh, and then I had another group with Progressive Caucus like a week after. And when I do it, I don't want lobbyists talking to to the other legislators. So I I had it with Jack Schneider from Citizens, who was one of the authors of this program. I had it with Mary and Jimmy from MTA was on there. Dave Sawyer, who's a superintendent from Attleboro, a school committee person from Attleboro, two teachers from Attleboro, and a student from Attleboro. So it was grassroots. The people who were doing this talking about it. And frankly, that's a lot of work to get all of them there in a school day because they're busy doing the school. Right. But uh, we're going to be doing more of that in January so we can spread the word. Once people know about this, they love it. They want to do it. They're just going to get past that hurdle that people think that we're getting rid of standardized testing. That's not, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I teach different than the person next to the teacher next to me. Right. And my school department teaches different than the school district next to us. We need standardized testing. There's no question about that. But it does it, it could be it could be much fairer and much less stressful. Yeah, a, a must, much less uh, dogmatic adherence adherence to standardized yeah. testing. Yep. Yep. So we're speaking with uh, Attleboro Rep. Uh, Jim Hawkins, uh, former educator. Uh, Rep Hawkins, I appreciate you uh, joining me today. Uh, I know you're busy, but uh, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to leave with the audience with with respect to this issue? No. Uh, thank you for, for, for uh, letting me share it. Uh, we need all the support we can get. So we file us in January, reach out to your legislators and ask them to support it. We'll certainly be following up with you then. Thanks for calling in, Rep Hawkins. I appreciate it. Thanks, Marcus. Have a good one.
That was Attleboro Rep. Jim Hawkins, former uh, former educator. He has that legislation with uh, Senator Joe Comerford um, to, you know, I said uh, get rid of, but uh, I was mistaken. Modify standardized testing in the MCAS to make it less dogmatic to um, to allow students better opportunities uh, for learning instead of foreclosing them. Uh, from them. So uh, we'll definitely be following up with Rep Hawkins uh, when that bill gets refiled. Um, but uh, for now, we're going to be taking your calls at 508-996-0500. I'm going to take a break. This is South Coast tonight with just Marcus. Chris is out. He'll be back tomorrow. New. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus, 508-996-0500. Chris is out for the night, but he'll be back tomorrow. Um, he'll be moderating with uh, with me the Bristol County Sheriff's uh, primary Democratic primary debate between the three candidates, uh, Mayor Paul Haru, Attorney Nick Bernier, and former Somerset Police Chief George McNeil. They'll be on... Uh, from 8 to 10 and from 9 to 10, you get to call in and ask them questions. We'll be asking them questions from 8 to 9, but from 9 to 10, you get to call in and ask them questions at 508-996-0500. That's how you can get on. That's how you can get on now and uh, and talk about what you want to talk about. That was Re- uh, Attleboro Rep. Jim Hawkins. He was a former educator. He was a math teacher uh, and... I believe he actually ran, you know, once Haru was ran for mayor, I believe he ran for... Um, I believe he's the successor to, to Paul Rowe, actually, in the state house. But he uh, has that bill with uh, Senator Joe Comerford uh, of Northampton, and it's to modify standardized testing in schools to make it less dogmatic, right? To play to students' strengths, allow them to, um, you know, he, he recognized the importance of standardized tests as, uh, you know, a, a measurement tool, right? But uh, this high-stakes winner-take-all model is failing, um, is failing our students, right? It's failing our students. He doesn't like it. Said more than half, you know, they had more than half the legislature in one day sign that letter, said they could have gotten more. He's already, he's already met with Speaker Mariano and leadership, and they're into it. Um, he says, you know, when, when they get more momentum behind this, they can get people on board. They can get people on board. Uh, so, so that's important. I had him on in the fall. I'm going to have him on again, uh, definitely soon, uh, again to, to follow up on this, you know, that, you know, how the legislative session ended in July. So not until January that they have a chance to refile that bill and they're going to do that, but they have a lot of interest around it. A hundred, a hundred, uh, hundred Senate, a hundred senators and, 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 and state reps. And as he said, like, cause typically there's 200 seats in Beacon Hill. There's 200 seats. That's 160 reps and 40 senators. But he said some are vacant, right? There's some vacancy. Some people have, you know, stepped down for whatever reason. Some people have maybe moved on to another position in government. So there's 154 some odd seats and maybe two Senate seats that are, um, that are vacant. But in any event, that means the majority of the legislature in one day was able to jump on this, and they said they have a lot of momentum behind it. So hopefully um, hopefully uh, they're able to build on that and get this thing going uh, because, you know, as he said, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for our students. And again, I know it's an issue that affected 
me personally, uh, because again, I have a brother who was, I have a brother who was living, uh, with autism who, who did well in school, but because his educational strengths didn't mesh with, um, the MCAS, he wasn't able to get his diploma. And there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people like that. And there's a lot of communities that are disadvantaged that have communities with high, uh, high populations of high need students are almost always in the bottom 10% of MCAS scores. So, you know, it's, it's a, it just, it does nothing. It serves no other purpose, but to continue the inequities in our education system, despite the fact that Massachusetts is, is the best education system in the country consistently our it can be better without a strict, uh, without a strict, um, adherence to, you know, standardized testing. Like he said, they're going to modify it. They're not going to get rid of standardized testing. They're going to modify it to, again, make it, you know, a, a, what he recognizes as a ne necessary tool for measurement, but not necessarily a, you know, this winner's take, take, take all high stakes testing that like, basically, again, I took for the bar exam. I took that for the bar exam. It stressed me out, <laughs> stressed me out. And I was 25, I was a 25 year old adult, 25 year old adult. Your brain's fully developed at 25, right? It's not definitely not at like 15. So imagine how the kids feel. 508-996-0500 and take a break. We'll be right back. 1420 Division. Okay, that was the first hour. I want to thank Attleboro Rep. Jim Hawkins for coming in and talking about that important uh, stuff, that legislation that's going to modify the MCAS and, um, you know, help create a more equitable, equitable educational system that plays to everybody's educational strengths. So I have a column on that. You can check that out. Uh, it was from a while ago, but I'll definitely put another one out uh, for that. And I want to thank him for coming in. All right, guys, I'll catch you on the other side of the eight o'clock hour.